welcome, welcome to a takeover of Between the Lies. This is the host of Taboo Topic, Ken Drew, and I have a great show for you today. It's going to be an interesting show. We're going to talk about the mass killings and the situation, how we're going to resolve that long-term and short-term with another podcast from the Conservative Podcast. So, without further ado, please enjoy the show and stay tuned for these short and brief messages. Welcome back to Taboo Topic. I am your host, Ken Drew, for your hot seat edition. And I have some thoughts I need to share out loud with you concerning recent mass shootings or mass killings. It's time that we reframe the conversation, I think. Now, there are many of these conversations about gun control recent weeks due to mass shootings in Uvalde, Texas, and Buffalo, New York. Some wonder why this current trend is happening. If you ask someone on the left, they'll echo the need for stricter gun control, while those on the right will echo gun rights. Personally, I lean more to the right and share the small voices that believe we need less gun control, not more. Innocent lives were lost, and I believe we ought to embolden the good guys to protect them. There is a reason why we never hear of mass shootings at police headquarters. That said, this is a complicated issue that deserves to be treated as such, despite the bias one may have. I think we can all agree that a gun doesn't have a conscious, it is an amoral object, neither good nor evil. It will not wake up and decide to take an innocent life one day. The conscious human is the one that we need to be observing. Why are conscious humans deciding to kill innocent lives in massive numbers at once? This paradigm allows people to see the issue as a mass killing problem rather than a mass shooting problem. Look at the country of the United Kingdom or Great Britain or China. Their individual citizens do not have the same gun ownership rights as Americans, but that doesn't mean they don't have mass killing problems. Instead, they have mass stabbing problems. Thus, it does not matter if you ban guns outright if the society doesn't value human life. So, how do we get this how do we get to this point, America? Well, here are some clues. Once upon a time, believe it or not, It wasn't unusual to walk into a student parking lot where a firearm was visibly present in a vehicle. However, there wasn't a mass killing problem. At the time, there was a consensus that taking of innocent lives was immoral. And you may think that is still true today. However, these mass killings are becoming more frequent frequent in suburban neighborhoods. Notice the wording I chose. Mass killings aren't a new phenomenon. The black community in urban cities has ex- has been experiencing this for generations. Most suburban communities do not hold a majority demographic of African Americans. What we are seeing is the problem being expanded beyond the black community. Thus, we must investigate the parallels between the creation of the problem in urban America and its seeping into the suburbs. The era when students were allowed to possess a firearm on school grounds was a time when the nuclear family structure was mainstream. That is, the minor growing up with the, fa- with the father and mother present in the home. Black children predominantly grew up in this structure, with only 25% growing up in single-parent homes in 1960. Currently, this number sits at 64%, with one out of three growing up without a father being present. This is the highest of all racial demographics, out- outpacing everyone else. That said, when you observe all racial groups, the number has increased 
significantly, significantly increased since 1960, when single-parent households hovered around single-digit percentages. Today, 34% of children will grow up in a single-parent home, the bulk being matriarchal, 15.3 million versus 3.2 million single mothers. 24% are non-Hispanic white, 52% are indigenous people, 42% are Hispanic, and 40% are multiracial. And you may ask yourself, what the association of single-parent homes with the father's absence, absence has to do with mass killings? Remember the statement earlier about mass killings having been an issue in urban America for generations. The psychological effects of growing up without a father are damaging. And we must understand how this affects the mind because most of the time thoughts manifest into actions, benevolent or malevolent. There are six themes with this demographic. However, probably the most important theme is that individuals with per se daddy issues are more aggressive. Understand that aggression by itself isn't inherently evil. In fact, it is important to utilize it when asserting your position against evil. What happens, though, when the child doesn't know how to healthily channel that aggression, especially boys who are naturally more aggressive in nature? Many violent crimes and successful suicide attempts are committed by males. Notice the black community has the highest rate of incarceration of men committing violent crime, from homicides to mass killings to sexual assault. Notice that the increasing rate of mass killings covered by the media are committed by men. White men have the highest rate of suicide. However, we cannot ignore the increase of mass shootings being committed by white men. Granted, some of these killers shown by the media did have a father figure in the home. However, this gets into another question of how strong the father's involvement was in their life. If their father was active in their life, it has been psychologically shown that fathers provide a positive male role model for their children and help to promote and reinforce good behaviors. As a result, children are more with more involved fathers tend to have fewer behavioral and impulse control, impulse control problems, longer attention spans, and a higher level of sociability. Another thing we must investigate is mental health. Children growing up in absent father homes have higher levels of depression, which can lead to being prescribed medication. There is legal medication that has homicidal tendencies as a side effect. Many of the perpetrators of mass killings run psychotropic drugs. Yet, that is not a conversation or consequence that is being explored with the fallout from the diminished role of the father in the household. That said, there are other themes that need to be explored with the fallout. However, with the given information, the next question becomes, what led to the fallout. This is where it gets subjective because it depends on your worldview. However, another theme that was mainstream in the era when students could have a firearm in a vehicle on campus was reliance on Christianity as the guide to morality compounded with natural law. As society became more secular, morality became more relative and more hostile towards natural law. When Americans began to diminish the importance importance of God's role in the home, this transcended into the, the deconstruction of the nuclear family because it was this structure that pushed for having the mother and father home when raising minors. This religious influence emphasized the role of the father in raising his family. The black community was the guinea pig, but it has caught up with other racial groups in America, hence the increase of occurrences in mass killings in suburban America. This could be a clue 
as to the main symptom of mass killings. Religious influence can create a culture that values life, regardless of gun restrictions or lack of, in an area may have. And there could be legislation to embolden those with that religious influence who at least abide by those religious principles to protect against evil. Although it would become irrelevant if God and natural law were welcomed back, starting in the home. Americans cannot rely on the government to fix this issue. Americans must look within themselves and wonder if we have created this culture. There is a reason. There is a reason. The first commandment of the ten is, do not have any other gods before me. Stay tuned. We'll be back after this short break to get this show started. And now to take a short break from the show to keep my promise and bring an awareness to the situation in Afghanistan, where we have nine to 15,000 American citizens who have been abandoned after the disastrous withdrawal efforts by the Biden administration. The statement that these Americans chose to stay there by Biden himself is alive from the pits of hell. He, along with other globalist leaders, would rather deflect their attention elsewhere and manipulate the rest of Americans to follow suit. However, the reality is that they are still in harm's way. These Americans have loved ones awaiting for their return in our government to make a concentrated effort to do so. This is obviously too inconvenient for our current administration, but we have to hold our leaders accountable. So this is a special shout out to those Americans and reminding them that people like myself know the reality and the truth, truth of the situation. They are not forgotten. And if there's someone out there who has a loved one stuck in Afghanistan or you're one of those people stuck in Afghanistan, you happen to hear this by one in a millionth chance, please direct message me through Instagram at Kenjin underscore express. I repeat, Kenjin underscore express. Follow the word engine. Put the letter K in front of the word engine. Then you get Kenjin, one word, underscore express. If there's any way, and I mean it, any way I can help and pass on to my audience to bring awareness to the situation and speed up the process to bring you guys home. This is the best I can do. This is the only thing I know how to do, how I can help. But I'll continue to do this until there is a concentrated effort to bring them home. Lastly, to my audience out there who don't fall in that boat, don't forget to pray for their families, their loved ones' safety, and return home. And now, let's get back to the show. And welcome back. Welcome back to Taboo Topic. I am your host, Ken Drew, and I am now joined by my friend from the Conservative Nerd Podcast, Grayson. Grayson, how are you, sir? Good. Glad to be on, as always. Yeah, and today's topic is a topic that uh, you you definitely have a personal attachment to, I would say, to say the least. Um, but before we actually get into our uh, thoughts and everything like that, folks, really quickly... Make sure you hit the subscribe button no matter what platform you listen to this podcast from. And please share this with your friends and family members. Uh, with that said, as usual, this hot seat edition, uh, we thought, if anything else. So, um, um, Grayson, I think this is the first time you've actually been part of my hot seat edition. Am I correct in stating that? Uh, I think so. Uh, I'm not. 
you're you're probably I, on I assume review. I yeah. You're probably on <laughs> weekly. weekly I think I'm thinking yeah yeah yeah. I I don't think I've been a part of one of your hot seats. Yeah, and so I mean the idea is pretty much I mean it's in the name of itself hot seat where I take one idea or story whatever it is and I literally put it on the hot seat. I scrutinize it and everything like that, and uh, you know I have a monologue and. You know what the monologue is, so I'm curious to hear your initial thoughts about uh, the monologue. Do you agree with it? Disagree with it? Folks, that question goes to you as well. Did you agree with what I had to say? Disagree with it? Um, do you hate it? Love it? Etc. <laughs> so, uh, Grayson, since you're on the show, uh, go ahead. let's go ahead and hear your feedback on the monologue, first and foremost. No, I think uh, you and I are pretty much exactly on the same page with regard to um, uh, these mass shootings in general, how really not in a, like, I guess, the root causes of these, um, how these um, shooters get to these places I think you and I are on the same page about, about the, particularly the fatherlessness. I think that's a deep, deep issue that nobody in the mainstream media is talking about, which is very odd and strange to me since it seems like a lot of the uh, issues that we as a society in America specifically are dealing with stem from or at least like fatherlessness contributes to a lot of these issues is what I'm saying. So, and, and just, and like I said, why it's not in the mainstream media is beyond me because it, it's a very serious issue. And um, I think it needs <laughs> a spotlight shed <laughs> on it to say the least. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, and like I said, in the monologue um, doesn't necessarily have to be a situation where the father's not, uh, physically present. Sometimes the father can be physically present, but they're not involved in their child's life. Maybe they work too much or uh, they just don't care to get involved in whatever it's just their or kids' it's lives are. Stepfather as well, or step parents. Not, I'm not speaking like, like if you're listening, you have a step parent. I'm not calling, calling them out, but <laughs> uh, genuinely, step parents i i think i i don't have the statistic off the top of my head but there is a uh increase a significant increase in the likelihood of uh child abuse from step parents so i'll venture to say i would venture to say to an extent and this is like based on my perspective and speculation because i have had a stepmom and everything like that um, most of the time, state parents tend to have more of a hands-off approach because it's technically not their kid. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of applies to a lot of fathers today sometimes, um, especially for the situation where the shooter did have a father in their life, but they kind of were more, they're more passive instead of, like I said, being mm-hmm. active in their life and assertive and making sure like they're teaching that foundation and everything like that. I think it's important to note just how that passivity can actually harm the child if you don't actually put taking the time and effort to absolutely uh, take interest in your kid's life, um, and it's, especially if they do something that you know they shouldn't be doing, you got to call them out on it and hold them accountable. And if you don't do that, 
you know, teach them that there's consequences for actions, then they're going to grow up thinking mm-hmm. there's no consequences. And I think a lot, of, at least I'm not entirely sure. Do you, let me ask you, not, not to think about it, let me actually go ahead and retract a little bit and ask you, like, how much do you know about the shooters and the recent shootings with Buffalo and uh, Texas? Do you know much about it? Uh, I'm, I say I, I have my ear to the ground with all the new um, revelations let's say about the uh, shooting in Uvalde and uh, Buffalo. So I'd say, I, I'd say I know probably so go just ahead. as much as you do. I was going to say, uh, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and like spouting off what you understand about the shooters anyway. Um, as far as like, I know for a fact the Uva- Uvalde, they were on uh, some kind of psycho- not psychotic drug, but they were like on some mm-hmm. strong prescribed medication I want to say Buffalo as well, which again, when you leak, when you go back to the fatherlessness mm-hmm. or lack of involvement from the father, it tends to have more mental health issues. And when the when the child has mental health issues, they're more likely to get prescribed medications, such as those mm-hmm. uh, things in particular. So again, it does stem back to the roots of like fatherlessness, and um, which gets into the whole spiritual aspect as far as uh, yeah having the role of God in the house. If you follow God's commandments, um, you will, it is your calling and duty as a father to be involved in the kid's life and mm-hmm. to raise the kid. But um, what do you know so far about those uh, particular shootings that you think the audience may or may not know? Cause I'll be honest. I don't know. You probably know more than me. Cause this is one of those issues where I've kind of like decided to take a step back and just wait, wait it out. Well, it was, uh, I, during my own uh, personal digging, especially in um, before the show, there was uh, pretty much somebody went through and ca- essentially counted up what it would cost to this uh, the shooter in Uvalde to get the weaponry and gear that he needed, and it was about nine thousand dollars. So how this uh, kid got essentially $9,000 worth of guns, ammo, and a chess rig um, is beyond me when he has no, essentially no job and no, um, no credit line. That's just a, a strange, um, I'm not going to get into conspiratorial territory. Uh, <laughs> hey, this is the show, show to do it. This is the show to do if you want to get a little conspiratorial, as long as you make that distinction. <laughs> Oh, uh, I, I'm just saying, I, I don't know how he could have afforded two AR-15s. And I, from what I heard, I don't know he how he specifically got in possession of a handgun. I know they're kind, they haven't released what type of handgun it was, but I can only assume maybe it was a family gun around the house because he, not being 21 in Texas, you can't legally purchase a handgun. Um, well, I was so, going to say, I do remember about the, this is like one of the few things I do know about the situation in Uvalde anyway, is that one, uh, he broke every gun restriction law in Texas. So yep. it wasn't like he did it within the law, like all the gun restriction measures put in place, he broke all of them. Like he found a way around it. Mm-hmm. And then two, the law enforcement there decided to wait instead of going in. I think they waited 40 minutes and their justification was the police officers didn't want to get shot at. 
Yeah. So <laughs> uh, uh, I told you, man, I am now like I, I, you won't find probably enough, uh, another person who's more pro police than I am. I, I, I know police officers. I, I'm friendly with many. And the ones that I've talked to are essentially seething through their teeth, especially uh, me growing up here in Texas. I mean, it, it's, I, I, I don't know as a man how you could just sit outside and ju just essentially wait for these kids to be killed. I mean, what, what, and they're like, as one of the police officers to go in and shoot the um, shooter and, and as some i was gonna say as someone who's been through active shooter training or something like that i mean we even played scenarios where you had to clear the building out yourself in mm -hmm. case you're on patrol by yourself and if there's an active shooter or anything like that you can't afford to wait like 10 20 minutes or even screw five even five minutes no no exactly There's no delay like as soon as you get that car you your ass better be inside that building pursuing that shooter well i heard essentially threat. the fbi has been retraining uh local officers i mean i i think they started retraining probably maybe after sandy hook is my guess on that you don't uh, these officers are not trained to sit around and essentially twiddle their thumbs and make a perimeter they're trained as the training on the books now and these cops failed i i i think they should be kicked off the force at at the minimum because these kids are dead and they could have stopped them because I, I'm a firm believer in a good guy with a gun can and will stop a bad guy with a gun. It like so, and that's exactly what happened. But the cops should have done their job. Absolutely. I mean, here's the other thing, though, too. It, when I see that situation, kind of pivot back to the monologue and everything like that. I mean, let's the majority of the police force is typically male. Okay, mm -hmm. and I feel like there is a crisis in our nation right now when it comes to uh, masculinity, because a true a man who's actually embraces masculinity would not just sit there and wait forty minutes for some kind of backup just to help, just because they're afraid to get shot at. A man who understands his role in society mm -hmm. and his community would go right in there. Especially if that's your fucking job, excuse my language. No, no, you're it's it's, it's absolutely if you're if you're afraid to get shot, don't become a police officer. Like, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's the same with the military. I mean, you if you're afraid to go potentially go to war, that because that comes with the territory. I'm sorry to say this, but especially nowadays with how uh, vilified and demonized police officers are, it's way more dangerous right now for police officers. So it's like, why would you join? Why would you join the police force and think, oh, I'm I'm just gonna ne never get shot at? 
<laughs> it, it, and, it boggles my mind. And I think you're exactly correct where we do have a crisis of masculinity and any man with stones <laughs> between his legs. <laughs> and to, to me, if I was there, if my kid, even if I did not have kids in that school, I carry my pistol around with me everywhere I go, I would have ran in. You wouldn't have stopped me from saving those kids. If I saw those officers just sitting around with their thumbs in their rear end that, and we're hearing now that the officers on scene were detaining uh, some um, rumors that some parents were tased and pepper sprayed because they were trying to rally up support to go in and save the kids. I'm like, that's what you were focused on. These officers were focused on detaining the parents. Uh, I, it's just a, all around shameful display and um it also shows you like their how backwards their priorities are at that moment if your priorities is to make sure your the parents are not going in to protect their children from someone actually literally shooting up the school and killing innocent lives versus actually stopping the guy, guy that's actually killing lives i mean turning your badge at that point you, you don't belong yeah. to be you don't belong in the police force i'm Again, sorry, not sorry. To be honest, it's one of those situations. No, no, it's it's right. You, if you're not willing to put your life on the line, don't become a cop. Like, because we need people, we need guys in those positions that will actually. That that's why I'm a, a like I do think I. Now let me preface this. I don't think we should arm every single teacher in America, but I think if. Those teachers who are already trained, already carry off campus to be able to carry on campus because they have an, I mean, they have relationships with the kids. I mean, if anybody's going to protect them and actually do something, it, it's going to be the teachers. Well, that's an interesting um, solution or something. And I think my solution is more extreme than yours, to be honest. I am in that mindset, like arm up every teacher in America. Mm-hmm. If that if that's what it takes, um, I'd rather have the warrior mindset in the school versus a victim like mindset where the teacher hides mm-hmm. hides their students in like one room and pray to God that the cops actually respond. Or and the shooter you know, doesn't pick your classroom. I mean, exactly. And the situation, the and then this situation, um, if it's one of the situations in Uvalde anyway, where. Uh, you had to wait at least 40 minutes before there was any sort of law enforcement out there to try to protect you from that shooter or that mentally unstable individual, um, which gets into an interesting thought process. I mean, talking about the situation masculinity, because this is basically like the root of all this whole situation, both in any mass killing, every time we hear like a mass killing, typically the perpetrator is male. Mm-hmm. Th- that we can agree on. It's, and it has Which been, is most violent crime in general. Right. right. And it gets into the question, and it kind of gets into the question as far as, like, are we actually creating the problem? Are, is our culture, are we creating this culture of homicide where we don't value life? Um, I mean, we do, I mean, for crying out loud, we have men out there who believe they do not have they should not say anything when it comes to regards of the issue of abortion, for example, mm-hmm. whether it's an innocent human life we're talking about. And they rather be passive about it. And for some reason, the new trend is true masculinity is t- 
taking a seat on the sidelines. That's true masculinity. And what that happens, especially if you're not properly taught to channel that aggression appropriately, that will manifest, as I mentioned, the monologue into something malevolent to where you will actually go out and do stupid shit, essentially, and hurt other people or yourself. I mean, we also have a situation where, mm-hmm. I mean, men are killing themselves at a higher rate more and more, I mean, more specifically white men in particular that have the highest demographic of suicides. Um, but I think it is worth noting, like I said in the monologue that um, I'm not going to get on board as far as like, this is a purely white male problem, but we have to acknowledge that it is becoming more common and it's been, and it seems like the problems that started in the black community with the black family, anyway, the deconstruction and the lack of, and the fatherlessness in that community is now translating into other racial demographics. It's truly becoming a societal issue. If you ask me. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think you're exactly right. And I think that we, as a society, have we deserve this because we've done nothing for but demonize and vilify masculinity and masculine traits men in general especially uh white men and uh and this is and say if if a man a boy grows up without a father in the home or maybe a father in the home that's just distant or like isn't properly um teaching the the boy how to be a man and how to channel that aggression in a positive manner uh to protect and to build up others instead of to dis- to destroy and then you have a society who says oh hey um we you're you're privileged no matter what issues you're going through you you could be the most depressed man on the planet no matter what you're going through you're the villain you're the oppressor uh and we don't care about you uh we don't care about your feelings um and 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 not only that but the current demographic like uh i demographic dynamic between uh men and women and the relationships in today's society i i think something like it 80 percent of women want the like the top 10 percent of men something like that so when you get all these uh lonely uh resentful uh men who are not strong they're they're weak uh and i'm not talking weak like in a physical sense but uh spiritually morally and mentally weak um this is what happens they either kill themselves or and even more tragically kill other people they they take that resentment out on the society that created them essentially and, and if, if you oh sorry go ahead i was gonna say and the thing is too like when they don't know how to actually appropriately like express that aggression in a healthy manner they mm-hmm. go to other vices that affect their behavior and exacerbate their issues even further like a, like the whole uh psychotrophic drugs for example the prescription medication mm-hmm. that people can get prescribed that has 
which boggles my mind to this day. That, like, there's actual legal prescribed medication, at least in the United States, where they have side effects such as suicidal or homicidal tendencies. Like, how the hell is that even freaking legal in the United States to begin with? How is that even? I don't even know how those drugs get approved. I don't either. (laughs) But that, but that's a lot. But a lot of those drugs do get. I mean, a lot of people who deal with mental health. That's a lot. That's part of the issue. Like, that's part of the side effects, if you will. And a lot of these, and that's the pattern that we're seeing. But it it does send back from the fatherlessness situation. But I'll take it in a deep a step further and. Mentioned as I mentioned the monologue, this is what we get when we remove that religious influence mm-hmm. in the family. Period. Absolutely. For, like forget society. Like it's it always starts back in the home mm-hmm. when you think that you know better than God Himself. God literally tells you it's in the Bible, and I'm using the Christian Bible because that's who I am. I'm a Christian, and I'm going to use that bias. But in the Christian Bible, it teaches me anyway, and it teaches you since you're a Christian too. It teaches us. Mm-hmm. That when we try to live our lives by our own standards, we will fail miserably every single time. It will mm-hmm. lead to more destruction and hurt in our own lives. And eventually it will manifest itself beyond the family, into the community, state, and eventually, obviously, you know, domino effect, the whole world, etc. But this is what happens when we remove that religious influence. So I guess the question I have for the both of us is like how can we how can we possibly turn this around at least to where the conversation as far as whether or not gun control or lack of gun control becomes an irrelevant conversation because like i said in the monologue when you have that religious influence in society and they, there's a general consensus that this is wrong mm-hmm. and that you should not and like the the importance of having that father figure in the house, the importance of having a father being involved in the kid's life, not just being physically present in the house, like actually being involved in the kid's life. When you have that influence, you don't have to worry about whether or not a school is able to carry guns or not. You don't have to worry whether or not the school, you know, the teachers are, or even the students. Like I remember to this day, like my uncle is telling me stories, how it was not uncommon to walk in the school parking lot, or you see a shotgun sitting visibly in their in a vehicle mm-hmm. from a student. It was just, but that was just the culture back then. The culture has dramatically shifted where now we have to have this conversation about whether or not we need less gun control or more gun control or enforce. You know what I'm saying? Like it should yeah. be a conversation if you ask me. Well, the, uh, uh, another question I want to pose is the the found the founding fathers knew that. We could only be free because we have a moral and religious people. That that's what our constitution like is for. It's essentially Absolutely. we're going to restrict the government because we know our citizenry is uh, moral enough and to be able to restrict themselves through religious practice, so we don't have to uh, essentially trample on these rights. And so, really, can we even continue as a country when, essentially, Christianity isn't in schools? It's uh, the the mainstream media actively vilifies uh, Christianity uh, and upholds other religions like Islam. And God forbid you say anything against Islam, uh, mind you. And also, like... (laughs) 
in, in the government. I mean, funny, interesting fact enough, the very first book that was approved um, by Congress, the U.S. Congress, for um, schools was the Bible. Like, no, nobody talks about that. Well, I never, I didn't know that. But another fun fact is that the U.S. Constitution, at least twenty percent of the verbiage, could be traced back to scriptures as well, the Christian no, scriptures. No, absolutely. That just shows you, but like I, like you said though, it, go, it just goes to show you, like just how the foundation of our documents and how our founding fathers envisioned our country. They envisioned our country with those rights that, like you mentioned. That we were, we would be able to restrict ourselves and understand our own limits with these rights. That mm-hmm. we would not abuse these rights. And right now, you can make an argument that right people are abusing that right in some instances. Sure. In a, a lot of instances, even. I mean, this not like I said. This is this has been happening in the black community for generations now. At this point, mm-hmm. but it's now becoming more common in other parts of the of the United States and other communities demographically anyway. So I guess a question I would pose to you is, I mean, if a, if a country is not in that morally righteous, you know, they don't, they don't have that influence anymore. They've kind of become more agnostic and where morality is relative. There's no such thing as absolute truth anymore or absolute morals. Is it possible? Is it even feasible to even, have the constitution as it is right now i mean i i i don't it, it hurts my heart to say this but i i don't think so and unfortunately but not like like i'm going to be like okay we should like now get a new constitution uh so <laughs> right. that, that's not what i'm saying but i i we need to backtrack because the, there's not been a constitution that lasts in the in the history of humanity the, I think the average lifespan of a constitution is like five years and ours has lasted over 200. That's unheard of in the history of humanity. And if we lose that, I don't think it'll ever happen again. I, I, I don't think we'll have there. I, I don't think there's going to be a country like America. If we let go of the reins, if we, if we let um, the constitution essentially be thrown in the garbage can along with all the rest of the founding documents, the, the declaration of independence and the federalist papers, excuse me. Um, I don't think it'll happen again because our leaders quote unquote, um, it, it, and, and it's sad. It's sad for me to say that because, uh, I, I grew up to love America uh, to respect the country. Uh, thankfully, I, I was blessed with a mom and a dad in my home who are both pastors and a very strong religious influence in my life. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. I know uh, not, not a lot of people get that. Um, so I, 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 I'm just wondering where we, how, how do we backtrack? Because really with the one side of the political spectrum essentially controlling the media movies the the essential well the the whole overton window how do we really because we need a drastic course correction definitely and here's the thing though too and this is why as much as i agree with everything you just said like it it almost it's become impossible to even uphold a con it's hard 
at the very least, they need to uphold a constitution where it only works where the people have that religious influence in their lives mm-hmm. and they know their limits. And if they don't have those limits anymore, then you have to whether you have to start wondering whether or not these rights can uphold by itself anymore. And some people on the right will probably cringe and, you know, they're probably think and wonder like, oh, are you suggesting that our Second Amendment rights are up for debate? And it's like, no, uh, that's not what I'm saying. But we have to understand when the Second Amendment was written, the father, founding fathers had the intention of morally right peop- morally righteous people with that religious influence that, was try- that would abide under natural law. Mm-hmm. They would understand that limit and not abuse it to we would have to be forced to have that conversation. So we have to actually, my argument is we need to actually start having a conversation with society and ask those questions, whether or not are we creating this culture by mm-hmm. ourselves, by removing that religious influence, which I think to answer your own question, Grace, I think we have to actually trace, take a step back and go start from the first amendment and talk about religious freedom first. Mm-hmm. Sure. But we have, that's, I think that's how we can backtrack and, basically hit the reset button if we're gonna have the constitution even survive that's what's gonna have to start we're gonna have to start asking ourselves like what does it truly mean to be separated from church and state because right now even the right i don't know if you've noticed this or not but i've noticed even the conservative movement now they're starting to adopt the left or the classical liberal position of separation church and state in the sense that religious influence has no there's no room anyway for religious influence in conversations which and, is idiotic. I mean, there no the, the separation of church and state. That phrase doesn't even appear in any of the founding documents. It only appears in a letter from Thomas Jefferson, essentially saying that the, there should be a separation of church and state to protect the church from government officials. You, you, uh, people forget that they came from a society that government officials were also like setting the doctrine in the church and they didn't want that to be the case they didn't want the uh the christian religion to be politicized by government officials that's what thomas jefferson meant by that and and yet it's been warped and i i had this person legitimately tell me that it was in the u.s constitution i'm like you tell (laughs) <laughs> have you read the constitution lately <laughs> they, well they 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 haven't and um and, and a, a thing i want to uh say is it really doesn't i mean it matters but it doesn't matter as much as if the government feels like the constitution is no longer valid that's when we're in danger because re- really the the constitution is a restriction on the government it's not restrictions on the people so, and when the government realizes that they no longer should restrict themselves in these areas, that's when the constitution dies. And so really we need more people that are fervent constitutionalists in the government. I mean, wh- where are they? <laughs> well, I would say, I would take it a step further. And I mean, it all boils back down to the church and like their lack of involvement when it comes to sure. our government and everything like that. And I'm the not church trying- has t- definitely taken a backseat in society and um, it, it's showing. I, I don't know if you've read Matt Walsh's book, uh, Church of Cowards, but I definitely recommend it. <laughs> Well, I I have seen a recent poll from the American 
Christian university, something like that, um, where at least 38% of pastors and 22% of youth pastors have a biblical worldview. And the, again, these wow. are like, that's yeah, low, <laughs> man. That, yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't surprise me either considering mm-hmm. like how our culture is right now. And when you don't, when you have, when you don't have that biblical influence in society, I mean, we're seeing the results right now. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, and right now for me anyway, this is me coming on the show, like pleading to my audience members, like let's, even if you don't believe in God, let's take a look at the results with this paradigm of separation church and state, where we believe that separation church and state means we need to remove all religious influence and even basic conversations of the, for, between like you and I with one one you know, forget public debate, public debate. Absolutely. That should be involved as well. But if I can't, if you're telling me I can't even like bring up my own religious influence as a conversation when that's a core of who I am, mm-hmm. then you're not, then it's just impossible. As a matter of fact, it's like, if you believe in separation of church and the state, if that's your idea of separation of church and state, remove all religious influence, then let's legalize uh, murder then completely because that comes from Christianity. <laughs> murder, mm-hmm. thou shalt not murder. You don't believe that public officials or people should lie in the court of law? Okay, cool. Since you believe it separates church and state, that we should remove all remove that influence, religious influence, let's legalize lying then. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying, and so it's it's contradictory. It's you can't you can't you have to either embrace it or you completely reject it. Which again, it's one of those situations where this is what I've been telling people lately when it comes to uh, the arguments of debate and everything like that. I say let everyone display their religious bias, let the merit of their argument win, and the merit of their argument should be based off whether or not it lines up according to natural law. That's it. It's as simple as that, which if anyone understands natural law, it's basically this idea that everything has a fixed purpose and a, and a prop and a specific function in, you know, in society as a whole. If you apply those things, like I said earlier in the monologue, you don't have to worry about the situation, whether or not, uh, whether or not these police officers are, we have police officers at school grounds or teachers to carry, but with that said, Grayson, um, let, the situation right now is that we, we're trying to figure out how can we prevent this in the future. And we, as far as much as we agree on the aspect that we need to bring back religious influence, starting the home and bring back the fathers and everything like that, uh, that's a long term solution. Like that's mm-hmm. going to take a long time to fix. Like that's the long game. That's yeah, exactly. That is the long game. So, well, there is short term goals with that as well. I mean, these studies, I mean, it's a uh, father figure and it doesn't specifically actually have to be a biological father or a father in the home. It, it can actually be a father figure in your community. So you're in your audience. I, I, I tell my audience. Go find a like a fatherhood program in your cities. I mean, I, I guarantee you there's one. And if not, start your own with these inner city kids. Be a father uh, figure for these inner city kids. It's definitely it, it's a doable. And I'd say will you will get such good results uh, with just doing something like that. 
Now, that is a good point. And, uh, and to my audience out there, take that to heart as well. Um, that is a short-term solution or a very practical solution, at least in the short run. Now, as far as the situation with these shootings and everything like that, more specifically schools and everything like that, I know I mentioned Buffalo, but um, and we could talk about more about Buffalo, but I'm more concerned about the schools than anything else, mainly mm-hmm. because it's minors, it's children, they have sure. their whole lives ahead of them, and one of my best friends is a school teacher himself, and it's one of those things where I do kind of think about his safety every now and then. Um, I think, and we could come up with some some ideas anyway, some new laws passed to promote the Second Amendment at this point. Mm-hmm. Especially if these teachers, well, granted, the school public school system right now is kind of in question right now too as far as the yeah. kind of teachers we have. But I do venture to say that at least a vast, the vast majority of them, it's like that small, loud voices that are giving a bad name to public schools, I want to say. But the vast majority of school teachers, they're good people and everything like that. Sure. They're sane-minded, and they deserve to at least have some kind of protection or at least some security mm-hmm. in their mind that they know that if there was a school shooter that they would be ready for or um, – they, they know that there's going to be less likelihood of having a school active shooter at their school because of the policy they have in place. So let's get into some ideas as far as policy making to prevent these kind of mass shootings. Um, and we can even talk about as far as like the policy as far as like how police officers should behave, mm-hmm. especially. So I'll give the floor to you. What do you think is a good some good policies? from X, Y, and Z to prevent future mass killings, at least in the school grounds? Well, the thing is, these all these shooters essentially have a similar kind of timeline. And I don't know if you heard, uh, but I think it came out yesterday that a video of the um, Texas shooter, like, uh, I, I don't know how long ago it was but there was a video of him holding up essentially a bag of dead kittens like graphic stuff wow (laughs) that's crazy no exactly and and the thing is we've seen this um this kind of trend before if you look back at the parkland shooting i i think if i remember correctly he was shooting like chickens in the neighbor like his local neighborhood or something so this um short leap between um i'd say needlessly murdering animals and jumping to that to killing people that that happens almost immediately and i'm not talking about hunting there there's a difference between hunting for recreation or to actually like help the environment by calling like say the deer population and uh, finding joy in murdering kittens. I think there's a distinction there that I uh, that I have to draw. And, and but I I'd, I'd say the um, the portfolio that you could draw from all these different points about what it like how somebody how close somebody is to essentially committing one of these heinous acts. I think. Um, the FBI or uh, some 
there should be some like like i don't know like an ai that scans the internet and then if it hits, <laughs> if somebody hits all these points hey they're they're super depressed oh hey they're cutting themselves oh hey there's a video of them killing uh animals oh hey they just bought guns and ammo and body armor maybe they're about to shoot a a, a bunch of people i i i think that outline could be very clearly defined and i'm sure with the technology that the government has on hand that that can't be out of the realm of possibility but a uh, thing is that from what we know of right now this this kid had no prior record but to my knowledge only about uh 30% i know it's a very small like small percentage of the federal c- crimes from the states get transmitted to the FBI. And that is a very dangerous thing because when you have these people who should be uh, like prohibited from purchasing firearms, like domestic abusers, because if you, if you get uh, charged with domestic abuse in America, you can no longer purchase a firearm. And I think that's right, rightfully done. But if somebody that that's what happened with the Southern Springs shooting, he was a Navy uh, veteran who got dishonorably discharged for breaking his two months old son's head open and abusing his wife. And he got discharged and he wasn't supposed to be able to purchase a firearm. But the even the Navy didn't transmit that data to the FBI. And if we're going to use the FBI database to possibly prevent people from getting guns, that needs to be uh very that that needs to be worked on heavily and uh that's and that is something that i've heard before as far as like how the the background checks they don't get that in depth or they don't there's like that miscommunication of transferring the data from whatever you know like the military for example your time in service in the military over Mm -hmm. to the civilian sector um i will admit though when i did my last background check they did ask me for uh, what happened during my time of service, but it was because I backed a patrol vehicle into a fence line. But that's a totally oh. different story. <laughs> <laughs> there, there is a now. To, in my opinion, the the Second Amendment is not up for debate. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not in the mindset of like editing the Second Amendment in any way. But um, if, if there also making it to where maybe a mental health screening checkup before being able to purchase a firearm just to make sure you're within the guy like the reasonable guidelines of regular human behavior i i i think that's something to consider maybe uh and i and i'm just shooting out like ideas so uh and and you or whoever you're in your audience could completely disagree with you. Me, and that's completely <laughs> fine. But I'm saying I, I'm just think, trying to think of solutions that does not um, infringe on our constitutional rights. So, and I, I'm sure uh, anyone that's a firm believer in the Second Amendment does not want criminals, those who are legally should not be able to purchase a firearm. Uh, domestic abusers and such what I what I just stated murders people who are a threat to themselves and society and that just needs to be streamlined 
and to be able to work in a way because it's like how could we trust a go- how could we trust our government now i i mean this this uvalde shooting gave us a clear picture that even me uh me as somebody who is i i'd say I, I wouldn't call myself a libertarian, but I, I think the, the 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 federal government should be as small as humanly possible and as much uh, authority that the states like can handle, they should be able to handle. But we just saw that these state these these officers on the smallest level possible did nothing, and like I don't that that kills my trust and I, I i'm not like knocking police officers because i know police officers who are pissed off at these other officers that that essentially let kids die um but that that definitely that that breaks some trust there on, and I on think, a small there, level and i think there's and i think since COVID, to be fair in your defense like there's been this slow uh, deterioration of trust between conservatives and the police force. Like sure. we're having like this, like it's leading to an ugly divorce where it's not so much of uh, there's not so much of a dogma anymore as far as back the blue anymore. Where as soon as someone speaks out against the police, it, you're somehow against the police. All of a sudden, it's like no, that's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get what you're saying in your defense. Like I said, there is a gen- growing sentiment in the conservative circle. Which is not good because I like I I think police officers, generally speaking, want to protect and defend, protect and serve their communities. And well, the problem is like more more, less and less people want to join the police force and the good cops are leaving. And that's leaving us with the cops who are probably there just to collect a paycheck like the ones who are. You know, with they're drones, and, and yeah. that, that's what that that's what they're NPCs, uh, to put an internet term, a gaming term on it. But that I think term. that was the that was the plan because the the whoever the higher ups and uh, I, I'm a little conspiratorial, uh, so forgive me. But no, whoever's, it's all good. whoever's <laughs> running the show, they do not have the manpower in the military or the police force to go door to door and confiscate guns. They do not have the manpower to do that. Especially since a lot of, uh, I'd say a lot of people in the police force, at least prior to the past couple years and the massive uh, exodus from the police force and the military, but they don't want patriots in the military and the police force. They don't want the people that are going to adhere to their uh, oath to the constitution, the military takes an oath to the constitution, not the president, not, not their higher ups. If, if their higher ups give them a con- unconstitutional order, they do not have to follow it, but they want those people out of like out of the military, out of the police force. They just want drones that will keep their head down and do whatever they're told. And that that's, I think how you get to this position where essentially you just get terminators like just mindless drones uh walking around with no uh patriotism in their hearts or their minds for their country or their feather fellow man and it's uh it, it's not leading towards a good path i could tell you that much 
No, I agree with you. Um, so this is like what I have in mind. I wanted to share these thoughts to you as someone who believes in the Second Amendment and everything like that. Um, I'm definitely wondering, I'm curious to hear your thoughts as far as my idea of a solution to prevent mass shooters um, or mass killings, as I call it in the monologue. But let's take a step back real quick and let's acknowledge that there's a reason why police headquarters never get mass killings and mm-hmm. because everyone's carrying a gun there. They have that deterrent. So, sure. I, and it kind of, you'd be an idiot to walk into a police station <laughs> with a, with a, unless you're a Terminator. Yeah, and take you can take a, a bunch of bullets. You ain't walking out of there. So, <laughs> no, you're not going to get far. Uh, you may you may get lucky, maybe get one or two people, but there's going to be ten other people shooting right back at you. Yeah, in the spot. So here's my idea. So let's. So obviously, this is kind of like that short term practical solution for now, as we're working on the long game, bringing back that religious influence in society to where uh, these policies will. You know, whether or not these policies exist or not become irrelevant at that point, because at least society has that general consensus as far as like what are our limits. You know, we govern ourselves and we know our limits with these rights, such as the Second Amendment. We don't go out there and just start randomly killing people for no reason. Um, So first and foremost, let's address the pharmaceutical companies first and foremost and start Mm -hmm. holding them accountable. Sure. And let's ban any sort of prescribed medication out there that has those homicidal tendencies, suicidal tendencies. That should not even be legal, period. Like, that should be banned out of the United States, first and foremost. So I think that would be a big first step to addressing to prevent future mass shootings in the future, just mass killings in general, Mm -hmm. Um, especially as the situation of the fatherlessness or the lack of father involvement in kids' lives that lead to serious mental health issues that at least that's not at least i don't have to worry about that um at least i wouldn't have to worry about a kid getting on those drugs and then having that tendency to go ahead and start shooting up the school later sure. on Sure, no so absolutely that's the, so that's the first big step that i think we need to address that is not really talked about by either left or right-wing media to be honest i don't hear much from the conservative media like you don't hear fox news talk about this you don't even hear like Shows like the Daily Wire or Daily Caller, those more conserved networks or anything like that. You don't really hear much about how these uh, those prescription medication is causing, or at least there's a strong pattern anyway with these shooters and how they're on that those medications. So let's actually start holding those pharmaceutical companies mm-hmm. accountable. It's not going to be popular by the elite class and establishment. Because of the fact that they make money from these pharmaceutical companies, and that's why they're less likely to talk about it. So, well, these pharmaceutical companies give—I think the last number I saw was like three hundred million dollars in like political donations. And so, and that should be illegal too. Let's address that as well. <laughs> like, you should not like, have honestly. Much, you shouldn't have. I'm a capitalist as much as the next guy, but you should not have that much influence with political candidates to where you basically corrupt or take away the people's voice at that point. So mm-hmm. let's start holding these pharmaceutical well, companies Well, also you think that this money is not not strictly going to elected officials as well. It's unelected officials like Dr. Fauci and uh, scumbags like him that are also getting a big pay, paycheck from these pharmaceutical companies. Oh, yeah. it's, not, it's not just the, our elected officials. It's everywhere, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And it, it could, and also includes like some judges too. I wouldn't be surprised if that it's also infiltrated 
to some court. Just so would court. you think a cap on like political donations? I mean, I, I, I know there's ways around that. I, you know, people buying Hunter Biden's, uh, paintings quote unquote <laughs> for well, I don't, millions of dollars well that is i will say this it definitely shouldn't be taxpayer funded anyway like if i'm gonna if there should be any political donations it should come right out of your own damn pocket and not like these CPACs or whatnot where it's mm-hmm. taxpayer funded and the, these candidates can actually have basically guaranteed campaign money to me that's corrupt and i don't understand mm-hmm. how that's legal to be honest sure um it's taken again taking the taxate what what was the whole reason why we started the revolution like taxation without, without representation? representation exactly yeah it, it was funny fun, funny offshoot but there was this whole there was this um hashtag on twitter like a week ago that was like tax the church or something oh okay it was right after the the church that like nancy pelosi goes to like is denying her communion because you're of her abortion (laughs) stance so people on twitter was like oh they're trying to um uh like abuse the system we should start taxing the church i'm like well like we just said no taxation without representation, but you also want the church out of the like. How how do you like square those two that, thoughts in your head? I, I now I've, now that is a violation of separation church and state. If you start taxing the church, because at sure. that point you're telling the because at that point once you start taxing the church, then you basically control how they you basically control how they behave essentially. How well, you think also where does the church get their money? They get their money from tithes and offering. Which exactly so, but that money has already been taxed out of somebody's pocket, so that money's being taxed essentially twice. So, which is a, a, you another add, thing. So you want to add another tax for the church to have to deal yeah, with? No, it, it, it's <laughs> asinine. And, and that's another, and that's a totally different conversation. But yeah, I think, anyways, as far as the whole pharmaceutical and holding them accountable, it's a good first step. The second step. Sure, any I drugs th- that make you more violent, ha- like I, like I said before, how that even got gets approved by the FDA. I mean, the F- uh, FDA is as corrupt as they come as well. But still, you you think if they have any moral fiber in their being, yeah, maybe That's- drugs that make people homicidal is not a good thing. <laughs> But Matt, and this goes back to what I've said before my show, where capitalism is a double-edged sword in the sense of free will. It's a blessing because obviously you have the power to decide as a consumer or as a business owner what products to buy or sell. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have that moral compass that lets you know when you've gone too far, then you get into a situation like the FDA where you start go ahead. We ignore those side effects. You start to overlook little things like that, which is not really a little thing. But in your mind, you start thinking like, well, it's not that big of a deal if it has like homicidal tendencies, if it means we can make an extra buck here and there. So, Well, you think how many drugs actually get approved by the FDA is like less than 20%, and that's generous. But very few <laughs> drugs get actually approved. And I think the R&D for new drugs, off, forgive me, it's not off, it's off the top of my head, but it's millions of dollars in R&D for each new drug. And for that low of a approval rate, I mean, I, I think 
I don't know how to how to square that, but and these drugs that are causing kit people to become homicidal get through, and yet experimental cancer treatments don't get approved by the FDA. FDA uh, like it's so mind boggling that it's just priority, so backwards. It's very backwards. It's whatever. Well, there's no the money profit. in a cure. Yeah, exactly. It's whatever makes it's whatever makes the most profit, and that's again that goes back to that remove that religious influence where the people at least understand their limits to their freedoms, if you will. They don't have to have the government come in, step in, and mm-hmm. say, "Hey, hey, so and so, don't do this." Um, but so that's a good first step, I think. The next step, I am in the mindset of let's change this victim-like mindset in schools and just start embracing the second amendment all around together and i think and i say that grayson because i genuinely believe america has like this purgatory relationship with the second amendment right now we're trying to protect the right to bear arms but at the same time limit that freedom at the same time it's clearly not working if you ask me if anything anytime someone talks about gun control i ask them now Point to me when when it's actually worked out for us. And so far, every time – I mean, again, let's go back to the shooter mm-hmm. in Texas. He broke every gun restriction measure in place. Gun control just does not work. So I think it's – If a gun society, control worked, places like Chicago would be the safest place in America. Exactly. And so I think it's time for us to embrace the Second Amendment and at least let those people who have that influence, that religious influence, whether they believe in God or not – I mean, if you – even if you don't believe in God and you agree with like simple concepts of like thou shalt not murder, that is that stems from religion. That's that does stem sure. from religion, whether you agree whether you believe in God or not. So for those who have that influence in their lives, they should be emboldened to at least be able to care. So I am a believer in open carry first and foremost. Sure. But also when it comes to schools and everything like that, this is what I have in mind. This is where it kind of gets the more, I guess, very libertarian idea. <laughs> And what I said earlier, as far as like every teacher should be able to arm up um, or should be armed up anyway. Um, and some people would say, well, what if they don't feel comfortable arming up? Then I'll venture to say just like not everyone, not everyone is meant to be a police officer. Well, not everyone's meant to be a teacher then at that point. We need to have a, yep. re- when you have a new conversation then like what it means to be a teacher. Um, if you're not comfortable carrying a firearm potentially, then perhaps based on the new environment that we're in. You probably shouldn't be a teacher anymore. So I venture to say at least a – but I'm willing to come to the middle a little bit and say like teacher at least have be able to have the option to carry sure. within the school grounds. That said though, this is where it kind of gets a little more controversial if you want to call it that. I think students should be able to carry within school grounds as well. But – Really? Interesting. I do. I do. And this is – and hear me out, all right? So this is what I have in mind. So I think – it should be mandatory for at, starting at a high school level to at least have the fire course arm or, you know, firearm course available for students to take as an elective. Sure. No, absolutely. Starting, starting from, let's say, 15 or 16. Let's say 16. Get that as long as you get that parental consent, obviously, because mm-hmm. it's an to get we have to get the parents involved. I believe in parents' rights and also, but it'll but at least gives the students and the parents the option to whether or not they believe they should be able to, if they could take a course such as like that. Mm-hmm. And, and let's just say like, hypothetically make it like a semester long course. So let's not afford, cause 
firearm safety. I mean, it's not that complicated. Like, no, it's, it's not. And, and, and it, like I, I doing my gun safety course here, here in Texas a couple of years ago, it was um, uh, essentially how to use a firearm for dummies. And I'm not calling Texans dummies, but I mean, some <laughs> of the people in my class were kind of podunk country people who didn't probably have a high too high of an iq but hey they shoot shot straight so when it came to the shooting part of the exam so hey yeah and i and here's the thing though too so after that one semester after that semester is over with so like whether you want to take in the first semester of the school year or the second semester of the school year the next after you finish with that semester we took that course I believe every school should start building up their own little armory, if you will, where <laughs> they have they have guns in place right there for the students and teachers to check their guns in for the day, and then when they before they go home, they can turn it in. So just like the good old days. Just like I mean, <laughs> I mean, but and I'm just like bringing this up from like my military background when I had to go in for work. We had our own armory, if you will. We had like our our m9s m4s sure. with the ammo already like loaded in all we had to do is just like you know put that magazine in and then we were ready to go we had to have some and i would say and this is where it kind of gets like incentivizes to hire more veterans or just more law enforcement get no more absolutely law enforcement. you think i mean veterans need jobs that go with their skill set and well i mean we've trained these men and women to use firearms and to protect and to ultimately kill somebody. So to have those people in that they're already trained, Hey, like pay some veterans, pay some, um, like maybe retired police officers who can't, uh, participate in like a, like a chase like chasing down a suspect, but they sure can shoot. Uh, I, I, that, that deters shooters. I, I, exactly. I, and and so and that's why I'm saying like when we, when they have that armory set up and everything like that, and we have that safety course, you hire those individuals that gives them the job throughout the year. Basically, it gives them the job like for the entire time. Like you're always gonna, they're always gonna be a need for people who mm -hmm. want to learn firearm safety. And if sure. they start building like that armory, and you have like that barrel where you check in for a day, like you, you know, do the whole like safety, make sure there's no ammo basic gun safety and everything like yeah. that. Um, and you have someone that's actually monitoring the armory and everything like that and actually making sure like the student and teacher get the stuff they need and everything like that. I mean, again, it's a guaranteed job. And at that point, tell me, Grayson, how much, how likely are we going to see someone go into a building randomly and start shooting up the place when you have, when you have a guy that's no, that's ensuring first and foremost, uh, the people at, in the armory, anyway, they have they have their guns ready, they have it ammo set, and you have someone at the barrel that's carrying as well. But you also have, but you also have teachers that are carrying, and you have students mm -hmm. that are carrying. Tell or me, or have the ability to carry. Yeah, it, it yeah. no longer schools no longer become soft targets at that point. And maybe uh, to play off your idea, it's just maybe. No, like the kids, but how many kids go through like the ROTC, even those kids, I mean, your, your idea with those kids being able to access and to like protect their fellow classmates. I think that's a, that, that should be a 
something to consider. But the fact is how anybody could be against having an armed security guard at every single school in America, how somebody could be against that is beyond me. I think that is the simplest solution because the thing is like every school does have their own security. That's not the issue. I don't think it's just, I think the issue is to me anyway, the school in Uvalde didn't unfortunately. Unfortunately, well, yeah, that's true. But at least in the majority of the schools, especially the schools I was a part of, and maybe it's just one of those things where I was privileged enough to actually have a school where, or go to a school where they have that security and everything like that. But I think, I think though, for the most schools, they do have that security. And that, it's hard to, it's a lot of, it places a big burden on that one officer anyway. Then four officers. <laughs> yeah. But even then, like, I don't think four is enough. I want, I personally want the whole, mm-hmm. I want teachers and students to carry. Like, I don't think, again, as long as you have that parental consent at age 16 to take that firearm course and to carry a firearm at that point. Sure. You should be able to carry as a student. That's just my opinion, though. Mm. And in some, in some, st- and you know what? Some people are going to have an issue with that. I understand why. Um, but. At the same time, if you know there's people in the classroom who have the capability to kill you as well, are you going to – how likely are you willing to pull out your gun unless you absolutely have to at that point? Sure. You know what I'm saying? There's a reason – again, there's a reason why you'll hear of mass killings at police headquarters. There's a reason why. Even with – even amongst police officers, they're not con- they're not stupid enough to actually start a mass killing at their own headquarters because they know there's going to be 10 other people – Ready and will ready to no, fire exactly. right back at yeah, them to to blow their head off as soon as they drew their gun. I mean, uh, the the perpetrators in these situations should be in constant fear for their life if they ever think to commit such an atrocity. And th- this is a rarity in Texas, especially with how like la- like armed the Texas people is. So this is the. That, that's what makes this so shocking and how how these officers, especially in the South, in Texas, I mean, one of the probably most patriotic places that I know, like it, it that, that's what is really heartbreaking and shocking about what happened um, in, in Uvalde. Another thing that uh, idea is only single exit or entrance into schools. My high school here, here in Frisco, Texas, uh, I went to Frisco High. There was it was a school, high school, about two thousand people. Every single like wing of the classrooms had an entrance and exit. Like there were so many entrances into that school, it was mind-boggling. So anybody with like that kind of mindset could have in- entered into the school at any point. And that I think schools should be redesigned in a way to where there is one entrance, multiple exits, but only one way you come into the school. So actually, at least in my at my high school right now, what they're doing, and this is a requirement from the state of Florida anyway, is that every school now has to have like some sort of ID verification. So my high school now. They have like this at every door. They got multiple entry points as well, but at every door, they have, there's like a little machine where you have mm-hmm. to scan your ID before you get in the building. So Interesting. You actually, 
So, and I think that's a that's a good idea as well. And I think every and at that point, everyone who's in the school building, you know, they belong. They just they they got in, um, or they have that trust that whatever guests they brought in, uh, they're not gonna. Yeah, they don't have to worry about shooting up the school or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know plenty of schools. I mean, I work when I worked for uh, FedEx and Amazon a few years ago, and I when I delivered to schools. They they make you they check your ID and uh so uh, some schools do that but I think that needs to be essentially across the board uh the new norm is you do check an ID and contrary to what the left wants you to believe that ID is not having to show ID is not racist in any way <laughs> <laughs> right so you don't have to uh, fear for that I mean. It boils down to though, like we should just end the. As a matter of fact, any place that has like the whole gun-free zone, that's we should just end that. That's at this point, it's just not working. Like any place that has like a gun-free zone per se, that's just like open season for whoever wants to or has that tendency, homicidal tendency, to just start shooting up the place. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you that uh, some of the malls and places here in Texas do have like the. 30.7 30.7 and the 30.6 laws that the anti they they don't want you concealing or opening carry in that place. Do I follow them? Nope. <laughs> if I if I'm concealing properly, I should have no problem whatsoever. And every state's different, but those signs I'm a, I'm a law-abiding citizen, but I know that if this is this mall is considered a quote gun-free zone, I'm going to have my piece on me because the guy behind me, who's potentially insane, and has some like I'm not going to be caught with my pants down and not have a gun on me essentially, because those places become targets. And I agree that there should no longer be gun-free zones, especially in a country America has forty. Uh, percent of the world's firearms and we have more firearms than people in this country there there should be no <laughs> I did not know that there there should be no place no building publicly in america where a shooter is not afraid for his life constantly i mean and also i guess it we're embracing the second amendment at that point and it kind of leads to my final part of my solution as far as short terms I think there needs to be more dire consequences for situations like Uvalda, where the police officers just sat around for 40 minutes and did absolutely nothing. I think they're, I think. You think they point, should be like criminally charged? I do. I, I think that, I mean, at that point, like you're contributing to, if anything, you're a bystander of manslaughter, if anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, something. I mean, because you should not, again, if sure. you are a police officer and you know, there is an active shooter that's within 20, 30 feet in front of you, and you have the capability to do something about it, but you choose not to because you're quote unquote t- afraid of getting shot. They to pushed me, out. <laughs> yeah. To me, it's, honestly. it's not honest. And honestly, it's not enough for me anyway mm-hmm. to just turn in your badge at that point. You, I think you, at that point, like you, there's gotta be some, they, they failed. They failed at their job. We know words that. Of, yeah. In the words of, uh, green arrow like you have failed this city you, literally no, you 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 took an oath to protect its citizens and especially our children of anybody you're going to protect 
like anyone who has any inkling of like anyone who has kids or is like has that desire to have kids their heart broke and breaks every time this happens but to the fact that any of those responding officers just sat there and they we know that they're trained to go and um essentially like attack the shooter and not just to stand there they they failed and i i think i'd agree with you that they should be probably prosecuted yeah because because uh, what to me at this at that point because what are you there for at, at not only that but like just turning your basket is more like a slap on the wrist that's not really showing or letting the police officers know around the country anyway mm-hmm. that if you are one of the if you sign up for this job, you know, actually do what you signed up for. And the worst that's going to happen to you is just, you know, you lose your badge or whatever. To me, like, again, it's one of those situations mm-hmm. where sure. it, it's one of those things where I'm breaking away from the dogma as far as like, I support police officers. I do back the blue, but I'm also against, you know, police officers who don't belong there either. If I think mm-hmm. there's people there that don't belong there and they're actually contributing by being a passive by being passive and not doing anything about it when they know that's their effing job Mm -hmm. and and the thing is it took one guy it only takes one guy every single uh one of these shootings that the the uh the shooter was confronted and they were killed by a gun toting civilian or off-duty officer it just takes one person with essentially the stones to do what's right and um and that gets back into playing the long game of rebuilding that culture of bringing that religious influence where that religious influence talks about you know talks about the importance of a man being that leader in their family in their community and staying for what's right and that goes back like i said it's at sure. that point, but that's the long game, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And, so- and, and the thing is, uh, a lot of people don't know that fatherlessness affects kids in essentially every single aspect from your from your ability to get a job, finish high school, go to college, uh, have run-ins with the law, get married, have your kids of your own. It, it essentially affects every part of somebody's life not having that father figure in their life growing up and hate it's to... oh go, go ahead. ahead no i was I'm, gonna I was say <laughs> i was just gonna say though i mean and we can point to the black community unfortunately they are the guinea pigs of how what happens when you take the father out of the household it's whereas, tragic honestly or, though or yeah whereas like around 70 it was like 60 Five percent, I think. Sixty-five. I I've heard upwards to seventy percent, but still, that sixty-five is. We'll play. I'll say sixty-five to play a little conservative and everything like that. Sure, but still, even close. Still high. Even close to that is mind-boggling. I think the closest one is like thirty, around thirty percent is either the white or Hispanic community. I can't remember what's the uh, next. So. The next one is Hispanic by 42%. Mm, okay, from, Hispanic, okay. Yeah, Hispanic is 42%. That's the next highest. No, take it back. Native Americans, 52%. Native Americans, mm-hmm. then Hispanics. Gotcha. Um, but, it is, but the thing is, 
though, it is couching up. The, it started with the black community. They're the guinea pigs. And some people will get upset and think that I'm being racist. When in reality, you should, what I'm saying is look at their community and look how it's destroyed them. As a matter of fact, we should be upset how there's been a small group of people, the elites, that have placated their emotions to the point where they believe it is pro-black, if you will, to not have a father figure in the home, or there's not, there's no need for a father figure in the home, and they're now trying to spread that propaganda to other communities in America, and that's why, and that's why I said earlier, it's not no longer a black American issue; it's a societal mm-hmm. problem now that we're sure. dealing with, and so you should be more upset by the fact that they have been the guinea pigs of the. De- by removing that religious influence and taking the father figure out and the importance of the father out, and now they're trying to push for, and then now they're trying to push for everything else. Well, they incentivize single mothers through, uh, uh, like monetiz, like, like I, I, I've heard stories about these, uh, black mothers who have essentially twelve to thirteen kids just for the the money like they they couldn't care it's less welfare. about their it, exactly and, and that that i think is a big contributing factor when they're incentivized these these women are in, monet like they're paid not to have a father in the home with for and, their kids and i remember when i was talking to one of my friends who was a black mother single black mother herself and she was telling me how Basically, That's an outlier. Was, Sorry to just, I, I, I'm not <laughs> saying no, that all the black uh, single mothers out there or single mothers in general don't care no, about I get, the kids. No, I'm, that I was no, just, I get what you're saying. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. <laughs> what I'm saying, but it does, but it points a flaw in the welfare system that it does incentivize single mothers to remain single. Because I could tell you the story of how, and I talked to one of my friends who was a black mother, and she was telling me how basically if she had a man in the house or had a man that had shared the same address as her, she would lose her welfare benefits just because she's no longer considered a single mother. There's that fatherly figure, if you will, in the household. Not so, even married? Not even married, I think, if I'm not if I remember from the conversation man. correctly. So again, it's one of those situations where you have to and I guess that kind of gets into a whole nother conversation, but another short term solution to kind of get back get us back on the right track to kind of get to a point where no matter what laws we have in place when it comes to guns um, and gun freedoms and everything like that, it becomes irrelevant. Like I said, because the people know their limits. One thing we can also address is change the welfare system to where it incentivizes the nuclear family structure, at least if anything, Sure. that I, and that I think could be, and that's not to say that I don't believe that single mothers or single parents in general, they don't deserve welfare at all. What I'm saying, though, is that the way it's set up, it incentivizes those individuals who are raising their to remain single to raise their kids alone. And I think it should be the other way around. It should be let's incentivize these single parents to get a father get, figure in get a father home. figure get get, get, get the, create that nuclear family structure, both having the mother and father in the house, and eventually. I mean, eventually work towards out of the welfare system, if anything. Sure. No, I absolutely. Because welfare, I mean, welfare is just a way to remain poor, if you ask me. But. No, it's it's a it's a system to keep uh, black people in place. 
it's not meant to get you off of food stamps or welfare. It's meant to keep you where you're at. And the fact that you, 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 those of you who probably don't believe me, just look at the state of the union address from when Trump was president, when he said that, uh, uh, a couple hundred thousand black family families were like put like actually taken off of welfare because they no longer needed it because they were doing financially better. Not a single Democrat stood up and clapped for that. Exactly. Not a single one. And that's not racist to say that either. Like we should want black. We should want every family. We should want everyone to stay off the welfare system if they can. And, and like, to, to be honest, I mean, even this, uh, this move to get people off the government teat, but you, we, we forget a, that money can go towards churches that do my, my family's church. We do great work for single mothers in the Dallas area. I mean, there's other options besides the federal government that do a lot hell of a better job. I mean, not only that, I mean, I guess my final thought, I guess is, I mean, to kind of pivot back to the church a little bit. I do think, I don't believe in taxing the church, but I do think the government can incentivize the church to get more involved in their communities at the very least. Like once upon a time, the church used to be the ones building hospitals, building clinics, building shelters. Well, that was our job. I mean, to, yeah, biblically that, speaking, we're, yeah, the church we is meant to take care of the sick and the poor. That That's the our church, duty. What, the church was... It should be the welfare system for the people, not the actual government. Mm -hmm. That's how it should be. But I don't know how you feel about something like this, but maybe come up with some policies to incentivize church to at least get them on the right track to push them to get involved in their communities. Uh, I don't know how you feel. Some, I have. That's just a thought I had the other day. I, I kind of go back. How, how would you far. do that as when taxes are tax or churches are tax exempt? That is a good question. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, it's a good like the, I, I'm I'm the only all thing for it. I'm just of, wondering how we do. The only it. thing the only thing I could think of is maybe it's a fair maybe to come to a compromise in the sense of all right, well I will keep the church tax exemption status, but in order to keep your tax exemption status, you actually have to get involved in your community at least. Start doing something besides just sitting on. Maybe pr prove you're doing stuff for the community. Yeah, more or less. And I don't want at the same time, though, I do wonder if that's a if I'm contradicting myself as far as like, well, that shouldn't be the government's place to do that anyway. And tell the church is like, well, if you want to keep your tax exemption status, you're going to have to actually do something. Um, but it's just an idea. No, yeah, it, it's, it's I, I want the church to be the per the people because it's the community uh, and that bringing back that so that close knit social fabric that we've honestly lost in, in the past, I'd say two decades and this degradation of the nuclear family has spread out to the entire community. And the more people that are, I I'd say can't be dependent on their community get dependent on the government. So if we get, and so to reverse that, we get people, we in back into the community, we, we close those gaps in the social safety net, more people get less dependent on the government. And that 
is how we would that's how to fix the problem in the long run and again this has been generations of deconstructing or moving god out of society out now of do home. we even have that much time is the i say the real question <laughs> are 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 well, we are we not too far down the slope to actually backtrack and have that amount to have that long game option well, I will say this, and this goes to even those who don't believe in God or don't believe in Christianity, as long as God's in control, there's always hope to turn things around. And regardless of whether or not the people, non-religious people, uh, decide to abide by God's commandments, if you will, it is up to us as Christians to actually start living out his commandments. And it starts, I mean, it always starts with the person in the mirror, right? If mm-hmm. you see a problem... Like, ask yourself, like, what have I done to contribute to this problem? What can I do to fix the problem or be contributor to being the solution? Mm-hmm. It's as cheesy as it always sounds. Be the change you wish to see in the world. Sure. That's how that's it all. It honestly, and that's something a Christian principle as far as look within yourself. Look where you're at. Don't focus so much on what other people are doing. Look at your look in the mirror first and ask yourself, what am I doing wrong that's contributing to the problems today? Which uh, I'll admit, I'm not that involved with the church. I'll be the first to admit it. And, I th- and that's something that I have to get more involved in. I have to get more involved with the church and not only get involved with the church in the sense of just like going to Bible studies and everything. I mean, like, really get involved with the church in the sense like, let's go do outreach programs, serving your the community. community. And serve the community exactly, and make and, and make that make those connections with people outside the church through those outreach programs the church does. So that, and that's my personal uh, vendetta against myself as far as like this is what I need to do to make sure to at least be contributed to fixing the problems. Mm-hmm. This culture that we've created where we've removed God out completely. Um, do you have any final thoughts, Grayson, before we close this out? No, just to play off what you said, like I suggested b- uh, before, is there are things that you can do as a individual. You don't have to wait for the federal government, your community. Do stuff yourself. Create a social outreach program. Uh, set up a GoFundMe page and then use that money to buy food and then hand it out. I mean – it, there are things that you can do to genuinely help people's lives. And I think it does start on an individual level and you don't have to be religious to do this. That, that's, that, that's a thing. It's a religious principle, but you don't have to be going to church every single Sunday to essentially help out your community and re knit that safety net back together. And like I, I agree with you, it starts at every every single individual, especially uh, men like you. And uh, it, it's we got to start taking responsibility. Us men, us Christian men, who are patriots in this country, we need to take the responsibility back onto our shoulders and kick some ass. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> well, Jordan Peterson talks about that responsibility is a good thing it may not be what you want necessarily but it's necessary for personal growth and especially as a man we're meant to carry on more carry carry a heavier load of responsibility so absolutely agree with you grayson and i like what you just said as far as like you don't have to be religious to get involved in your community um as much as long it's more of a religious principle you're abiding by a religious principle Mm -hmm. but 
you don't have to necessarily be religious to do those things. So, and one, one final thought, sorry. But if you're searching, uh, you listening are searching for some sort of happiness. It, it, I, I think that's the wrong mode. You should be searching for meaning and another Jordan Peterson. It's like you find that meaning and you find that happiness through taking on responsibility that being responsible for things, that's how you get that meaning in your life. So if you're struggling to find meaning in your life, do exactly what we're suggesting and get involved in your community. That's how you, that's, you're going to feel night and day difference. Uh, Responsibility equals purpose. That's what it is. (laughs) It's finding your own, it's finding your purpose. Um, Grayson, Great conversation tonight. We went a lot longer than I anticipated, but that is a good thing, though. Uh, tell the audience how people can find you. Give, give, Go ahead and give your plug for tonight, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, y'all can find me at the Conservative Nerd Podcast on Instagram. And my show goes on um, essentially anywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, as long as they'll, I haven't been banned yet. And we have a <laughs> Facebook pages, Instagram, we have Gitter, we're on True Social, so just look up the conservative nerd, and you'll see my uh, handsome face, and yeah. How often do you post on your show? Uh, I try to get um, at least an episode out per week. I, I, I've been super busy lately, and so I, I try to get more than one episode out per week, but uh, it's just life. <laughs> <laughs> so but there's there i i think i just had my 40th episode so there's plenty of content to go ahead and listen and i've actually been on one of those 40 episodes so um uh, yep you have you, he's got good stuff folks so with that said i'll be back but you can say goodbye to my friend grayson after this break so stay tuned folks Welcome. Welcome back to this takeover of Between the Liars. I am your host, Ken Drew from Taboo Topic. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Please give my friend Grayson Dockery a follow on Instagram and social media through the Conservative Podcast. Literally, that's all you got to type in in the search bar. And you can also follow me at Kenja underscore Express on Instagram and any other social media platforms such as Truth Social, Getter, and TikTok. You can find me on Facebook at taboo topic look for the logo that says honesty equals understanding and with that said folks until the next takeover y'all have a great blessed day